Hello, I'm Linda. And I'm Michael. We're both art historians and this in this new fortnightly podcast, The Grand Tour, we will follow the trail of wealthy Northern Europeans as they visited Rome during the 17th to the 19th centuries. We're going to set off with the voyagers who spent a few months travelling southwards to Rome to learn about the seat of classical learning, art and architecture. Several continued further south. They didn't stay at Rome. They visited Naples, down across the the sea to to Sicily before they turned back northwards and they went up the coast, either the west coast or the eastern coast, to recross the Alps. And then they made their way home. It was really an extraordinary phenomenon. And Linda, you're teaching this at the moment in University College Dublin. So you're very expert in the whole area. But we do know that the travellers did make the most of their time initially. It was a wonderful experience for them. And keep in mind, we're probably used to travelling so easily, hopping a plane and you're in a, in a country or city in a few hours. But in those days, as we've seen already, they had to cross the ocean, they had to big, bring a big trunk, all of this type of palaver. So when they were in Italy, it's important to remember that they weren't in a unified country. That didn't happen until the 19th century. Because until then, Italy was a patchwork of independent republics, duchies and states, most of which were continuously at war with each other, or or at best there was a series of hostilities. There were always enemies, and it was very dramatic, as we'd expect in Italy. So let's start this episode then with one of the most celebrated republics of the Italian peninsula, the most serene republic of Venice, which was for centuries dominating the Adriatic on the northeastern coast. In our last episode, of course, we arrived in Venice, so let's explore a little bit more. Yes, and no visit to Venice is complete without seeing some of the remarkable monuments designed by Andrea Palladio. He is an Italian Renaissance architect. He lives between 1508 and 1580, and he is essentially one of the most important architects that we know of. You know, and his work and that of his pupils had a a great impact on Venice, not least, but also on Italian uh, Renaissance architecture, but also continuing. Uh, It's that impact that Palladian architecture arrives to our shores in the early 18th century. So something that we we have to kind of countenance. But when you arrive at Venice itself, you can have the joy of traveling by water taxi itself, a kind of spectacular experience. And you come along into the lagoon, you see on one side uh, San Giorgio Maggiore and then across on the other, just further down is the Redentori Church. And it's something, that sight of these extraordinary Eastrian sandstone monuments glistening in the sunlight of the Venetian lagoon is something that's always kind of etched into the memory. And in many respects, San Giorgio Maggiore, we're talking about 1560s and these are extraordinary kind of monumental pilasters. Uh, that glisten literally in the sunlight of the uh, Venetian lagoon. Palladio isn't from Venice, though. He's um, it's, uh, close by from, um, from Padova or Padua in 1508. And he also, he dies in Vicenza. So he moved 
around the Veneto and his life is, it's also always the case, isn't it? His formation, he begins as an assistant as part of one of the great guilds of stone cutters in Vicenza and he works with Gian Giorgio Tresino and was apprenticed to his atelier of architecture. And he also works with um, an extraordinary map maker, Daniele Barbaro, on a new edition of publication of uh, Vitruvius, the great first century architect engineer's volume of the 10 books of architecture. So in many respects, he's, his formation was something that, you know, trained him throughout or laid his own foundations through his life. He gleaned much inspiration from his own visits to Rome and in the 1740s, 40s, he, he would have studied the great baths in Rome. He would have studied all sorts of the ruins of the Roman Forum and is better known for his own commissions from such as the Villa Barbaro and the Villa Rotunda. But mainly in Venice, he's known better for his religious buildings, the San Giorgio Maggiore, as we've already said, and Il Redentore. All of these linked to the kind of artistic traditions of Alberti Bramante and Palladio uses principles that relate to art and the forms relating to nature to generate his architecture. And he himself publishes in the 1570s his great theoretical work, e quatri libri and that's something that is found reflected in all of his works of art well i think il redentore church is one of the most magnificent churches in venice surely it's 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 ginormous it's monumental it was founded in gratitude as a result of the plague which the venetians experienced in the early 17th century so they dedicated and this was, was a very common thing to do in those days to dedicate a church which was called a votive church or sanctuary in gratitude to a saint or in this case to christ the redeemer they called it il redentore the church of christ the redeemer whom they claimed that and had saved the city of Venice from a serious outbreak of the plague from 1575 to 1576. And we've just gone through an epidemic, a pandemic worldwide at the moment. So we've got some idea of the kind of the fear and the terror which must have gone through the hearts of the people. Because again, they had so little in terms of modern medicine, isn't that true? They'd very little, well, certainly antibiotics weren't invented until I think the 20th century. So they had potions and lotions, but that's about it. And of course, thousands died. And once they died, their bodies had to be disposed of. And we'll be talking about that again in a later episode. So the church itself is situated on the island of the Giudecca, somewhat remote from the heart of Venice at that time. Although today it's probably bang in the city centre, but it was very close and it was clearly visible from the Piazzetta of San Marco. The Venetian Senate then promised that every year the Doge, the leader of the city, would cross the Canale della Giudecca on a bridge of boats which had been strung together to give homage to Christ the Redeemer. And the church in its signature Palladian broken pedimented facade was designed as the culminating point of this annual procession. And of course, we have a wonderful Canaletto picture. And maybe you'd like to talk about this, Linda, and tell us more about the... Um, sure. Yeah. So, um, in fact, presently in the National Gallery in London, there is a, a painting by Antonio Canaletto 
and he is 1697 to 1768. And this captures this extraordinary uh, scene where, you know, rather like, you know, creating a bridge, uh, a platform for to enable, yeah, the, the, the clergy to enable uh, the doge and his procession to access the church. And in, this, in the, the foreground of the painting, we see the uh, kind of a canopy ho- over its wonderful kind of monstrance and altar plate. And in the far distance, we can see raised up high is the, is the Redentory itself and the wonderful flashes of red as the doge is kind of entering the church uh, at that point. That's right. And we're very lucky to have images by Canaletto and other artists because they give us a snapshot that, you know, again, we're in an era where we're saturated with images. But in those days, they relied on people like artists such as Canaletto and his contemporaries to record for a moment, to freeze in a moment the image of the procession and it, it it brings us in and we can we can hear the rustle of the silk and we can hear the uh all the the noise the the music which is taking place we get a first hand view of the procession therefore for this feast day and in the evening before the actual celebration of the feast there was an enormous big fire display and that must have been must have been an eagerly awaited event drawing crowds from both sides of the lagoon and indeed from further afield in the veneto processions were a hugely important part of this of of the kind of stage set that venice really is and yeah absolutely canaletto positioning himself opposite the church so he frames this view extraordinarily you know the kind of the geometry of that church very clearly poised right up high in in the in the center of the painting but essentially the church itself dominates that skyline and what we kind of know about palladio in a way is he seems to link geometry is obviously at the core of what he how he designed these facades and a set of rectangular spaces within and variously he drew, drew inspiration from all sorts. Um, his visit to Rome in the 1540s, the Baths of Diocletian, for example, you know, was the Diocletianic windows or something that we think of uh, associated with Palladio. And this idea of scenography, he clearly was a stage set designer and he set out part of his early part of his career at the kind of drama of the temple facade or the church facade with these kind of interconnecting pediments are is something that we really take account of when we look at the at the painting and by the way i was listening to a cd a couple of days ago which was music composed for the feast of il redentore and it dates from about the early 17th century and it just gives a wonderful idea of these sonorous uh, acoustics of the great buildings of san marco of il redentore uh, the madonna della salute all these wonderful majestic big churches either built for private devotion or for public processions and for public veneration. But the music was was absolutely incredible because you had strings, of course, but then you had the timpani, you had the trombones, you had the wind instruments, and you could, again, just get this sense of the the event being so intensely important for the people who... I'm I'm very much in mind of the um, the expression in Augustus's time: "Give the people bread and circuses, and they'll be happy." In other words, they won't annoy you as a politician or as a leader. So, in a sense, there's something about that. 
Staying with Palladio and his facade, that in itself, from Il Redentore and San Giorgio Maggiore, they are design prototypes in a way, and they will essentially uh, reflect how many churches of this time will be constructed, a high nave, central aisle, and then these lower side aisles reflected in these sort of stacked or broken pediments. And that kind of intersecting temple front is very much how he goes, gets, you know, or, or arranges this one, one pediment superimposed upon the other. In many respects also, elements of these churches are picked up later with Baldassare Longena from the 1630s in another of these great places churches or these votive churches, which is right out on the promontory in between, just at the edge of the near San Marco. And the elements are picked up in that facade, uh, in that church also. And Langena, again, this was votive, again, freeing the city from the end of plague, dedicated to Santa Maria, Della Salute. And there's a great winter festival there also on the 2nd or 21st of November, in fact, and another bridge is constructed. So a city of small islands, bridges linking a to one side to the other. And in this case, a bridge is constructed from the Grand Canal to the quay to celebrate the freeing again of the city from the plague. And that church itself him, houses works by Titian and Tintoretto. So Venice has these extraordinary treasures within these great uh, churches, well worth diving in when, when you see them. Well, that's the thing. It's also the problem with Venice. If you go to Venice for a few days, you're not really even going to scratch scratch the surface of the place. It's it's just busting with fabulous uh, statues, with wonderful architecture, with the great oil canvases, etc. But one of the great places, the set places of Venice is the great, what Napoleon called the drawing room of Europe. And that is the area which is really the square or the final wing opposite the Basilica of San Marco. And in Barbaro's map of Venice that you referred to around 1500, uh, we see Venice depicted as a series of islands because that's what it was ultimately. It was a a small group of islands which uh, were bound together by bridges. And the six sestieres and the arsenal showing the Piazza San Marco before renovation are depicted in this great monumental map. Uh, Jacobo Sansovino, who lived 1486 to 1570, is the architect responsible for renovating the piazza and the piazzetta, the little piazza of San Marco. He uh, was was Florentine, I should say. He trained as a sculptor under Sansovino. He regularised the plan and introduced symmetry and an axial alignment of the rectangular form of the piazza, which is overlooked by the great time clock and the Basilica of San Marco. And actually, that's important because you get a wonderful view. The further down you, you move away from San Marco and look back, you really have the whole thing in perspective and it all comes to life. So it's uh, it's a wonderful building. But unfortunately, we're running out of time and we're going to have to stop and say, until the next time. Yeah, and arrivederci. Ciao.